Welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I am your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today I'm joined by John Ramsey, who is an educator, performer, and the former chair of the percussion department at Berklee College of Music. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Bart. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we're talking about um, the legendary teacher, Alan Dawson, who um, you yourself took lessons with. Um, and, you know, obviously that's, uh, I think you said on and off for a while since 1973. So excited to hear about that and your experiences. But I'd love to start off, like usual, just with like, who is Alan Dawson? Maybe what is his background, you know, when he was born, all that good stuff. Oh, gosh. You asked me the hard questions. Well, let me let me start with this part of Alan's life. Alan was actually, I mean, besides being, you know, uh, a world-class jazz drummer who played with the who's who of jazz artists, he was also the first and for a while the only drum teacher at Berkeley back in the 50s. Hmm. So he had already been established as a player, and he had played for – uh, many years with Lionel Hampton's big band. And a lot of people may may not know or realize that uh, he was actually uh, the drummer for the Dave Brubeck Quartet uh, after Joe Morello, and I think for probably more years than Joe Morello. Mm, cool. Everybody knows uh, Dave Brubeck Quartet from, uh, you know, the recording with Joe Morello, who, by the way, is from Springfield, Mass., Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, from the recording of Take Five. But uh, I couldn't tell you exactly what year, but Alan was actually Joe Morello's replacement and played with Dave Brubeck for many years. Uh, he was the first call drummer in the Boston area, but he was also, uh, and people can actually go on YouTube and find a lot of this, is he was the house drummer for what was called Prestige records in those days uh Mm. it was one of the major jazz labels and alan was the house drummer so uh he made recordings with everybody from clifford brown and lionel hampton and gg grice art farmer uh jackie byard just a whole slew of uh dexter gordon of uh people that you know recorded for prestige records so um actually that was probably during the 70s but I like to tell a story about what led me to study with Alan Dawson. Great. Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, actually, I wasn't technically enrolled in the music department of the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, but I played in a band. My story was I was basically a self-taught drummer who grew up in the 60s. And, you know, learned to play from listening records of, you know, Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and, uh, and Cream, you know, Mitch Mitchell and uh, um, Ginger Baker. There we yep. go. Uh, those were kind of my, you know, my idols. But in the early 70s, I kind of gravitated to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, Mass, uh, area where there were five colleges and where Max Roach had come to teach. Now, I didn't know too much about jazz at, at that point, but like I said, I was a self-taught drummer. And so I used to go to Max Roach's ensembles and his, his, his percussion ensemble, his small group ensemble, and he taught a, a jazz history class there as well, which really consisted of uh, Charlie Parker stories. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Max was very kind to me. Uh, he, would, he would, you know, invite me to play in the ensembles and you know, so I was kind of hanging around uh, the music department unofficially, uh, uh, not really enrolled. But one day I, I, you know, I waited for after class and I uh, said, Mr. Roach, Mr. Roach, <laughs> uh, uh, probably called him Max. But uh, yeah. I said, do you, do you give private lessons? And he said, Ramsey, no. He said, I don't do that. <laughs> he said, but if you want to study, you need to get your behind down to Boston and look for Alan Dawson. Now, I, that was about 100 miles away from Boston. So uh, this was in Western Mass, where I'm from. And so if, if not for Max Roach, I, I would have not known who uh, or would have never met Alan Dawson. So, Jeez. yeah, it was uh, – <laughs> when Max Roach tells you, you know, to study with this guy, you have to kind of take it to heart. So, Oh, man. Was, was Max Roach a nice, you know, a, a, a nice guy? He was a very nice guy, very, uh, 
very genteel, diplomatic, uh, gentlemanly hmm. guy. Cool. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he had kind of a, uh, let's say, a tempestuous relationship with the University of Mass because in those days, the jazz department was just being built. It was actually started by a guy named Fred Tillis, who was another one of my mentors. And uh, so I think there were struggles between the, you know, the stodgy classical music department that had been there for years. And they had all the nice offices and, you know, the, 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 the new jazz program, the bachelor's, uh, it was actually called uh, Afro-American Music and Jazz Degree Program. You know, they were like the bastard children. So there was always this tension between, I think, you know, uh, the established classical music department there. Now it's different. They have a great jazz program there uh, mm. run by Jeff Holmes, and it's really come into its own. But in those days, there, there was some tension between Max and the, actually Archie Shep came there, Reggie Workman. They all came at the same time. Uh, who else was there? Youssef Latif was all in the UMass Amherst area. So, but anyways, so uh, taking Max Roach's advice, I drove down to Boston and I actually went to what is uh, then and still is the 1140 Boylston Street building of Berkeley College of Music. So this had to be around, I don't know, I, I keep thinking 1972, which would have made me about the age of 22. I started playing when I was about 12, so I would have been playing for about 10 years. So let's say 1972, 73, around that time. So I found out Alan Dawson's office was on the second floor of the 1140 Boylston Street building. And at that time, that was probably the only building uh, that Berkeley had. It was very small in those days. Now, there, I mean, there's more, more buildings and properties than I could count. But I went up to the second floor. I saw the, the room with his name on it. I knocked on the door, and, you know, this guy came to the door. Uh, I always remember he had, like, kind of a corduroy uh, – uh, what do we call him in those days? Like a, like a leisure suit, almost like, a, <laughs> a, you know, a athletic suit of the day, but it was a little more yeah. uh, elegant than that. But anyways, he knocked yeah. on the door, and I said, oh, hello, Mr. Dawson. Mr. Dawson, he said, yes, how are you doing? Said hi. My name's John Ramsey. I'm from Amherst or Northampton or whatever. I said, uh, and I, I wanted to know, do you take students outside of Berkeley? <laughs> and he kind of smiled uh, and he said, "Well, he said, as a matter of fact, you've come at a good time because I'm leaving Berkeley in a couple of months and I'm starting a private practice at my home in Lexington, Mass." Huh. And I was like, "Cool." <laughs> so wow, yeah. Um, I guess Alan was actually, I think Alan was at Berkeley for, I think, 17 years. Um, so at any rate, this is this began my, my relationship with Alan. But what I did know about Alan was what uh, a lot of drummers at, at that time did know was that um, he had been the teacher of Tony Williams. And that kind of, I think, forged his reputation as a great teacher because, you know, Tony Williams at the age of 17 was playing with Miles Davis and uh, changing the whole, um, you know, jazz drumming uh, style, really. So sure. yeah, uh, really. we knew that, that um, Tony was uh, one of Alan's first students. But I learned maybe a little while after that also that Harvey Mason had been one of Alan's students. Harvey was actually a student at uh, New England Conservatory. But I think like Tony, he probably came out here to the house that I now live in, where Alan's studio was uh, in Lexington. Harvey Mason, um, Terry Lynn Carrington is another uh, student. But I think also when, when Alan did teach at Berkeley, he had people uh, come through there, uh, Casey Shirell. I mean, when I was working at Berkeley, <laughs> uh, I would say probably three-quarters of the percussion department faculty were all former Alan Dawson students. So he really left his mark. Peter Erskine was another one uh, that studied mm -hmm. with Alan, probably at, at jazz camps. Uh, J. 
J.R. Robinson was uh, one of Allen's students at Berkeley, as was Steve Smith, I believe. I mean, so, you know, his reputation as a teacher just really started to to grow as, uh, you know, his former students went out and into the world and became, you know, well-known drummers themselves. Yeah, that's there's certain teachers where Alan um, was from Roxbury, Massachusetts, uh, okay, part of Boston. As was Tony Williams, uh, as was Roy Haynes. <laughs> wow, Roxbury, so, that makes sense because I, w- yeah. I was wondering how old he would have been when he was teaching Tony because Tony was obviously, I mean, that was a long time ago before 1975, obviously. Um, but it makes perfect sense now that that would have been in the in that town. Man, there's something about massachusetts and drummers and music i've said that in another episode where there's a lot of great musicians and drummers and just people from 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 your neck of the woods yeah well it's probably that northeast quadrant of the of the country too you know uh there's new york city there's there's a lot of 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 schools there were a lot of jazz clubs in in boston back in in those days uh not so much anymore but yeah Yeah. boston has a, a rich a rich drumming history sure all right let's jump in uh back to your lessons so you said kind of in the mid 70s there and again i'm reading online here it says um i know you said he went private he was leaving the university and i'm reading online that it says something about he um hurt his back he did tell me in one of my lessons that uh what happened to his back was that he and some of his buddies were i don't know trying to to be wise guys or something or have some fun. And, and they tried to lift up and move a Volkswagen Beetle. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And and that's, that's what happened. You ruptured a disc or something in his back. But, um, um, so. Wow. I like, I like to share this part of my lessons with Alan. Uh, you know, like I said, I was a self-taught musician out in the, you know, the Western Mass, Massachusetts part of the, of the state. And uh, I played in various bands, but I played in one particular band around this time that was actually doing pretty well. Uh, we played at colleges, nightclubs, and, you know, bars. But if we had a good week, $90 <laughs> a piece for the week was a good week. <laughs> wow. And so, Jeez. and so, I had kind of resigned or or envisioned my future to be that of kind of the starving artist, right? So, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, you know, we played uh, three nights this week and, uh, you know, I got, we played for the door and, uh, wow, I got a hundred bucks this week. Wow. So, it, you know, things, um, but I, I'll also say that probably also fed into my my desire to, to seek out real education. But um, I remember the first time I drove to my lesson and pulled up to Alan Dawson's house, which is a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a modest ranch house in, in Lexington, Massachusetts, which is a very uh, expensive town. But, you know, it was, for those times and those, those days, it was actually quite a nice house. But my my thought was upon pulling into the driveway it was like, wow, you mean you you can be a musician and 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 live in a nice house and have a nice car and and have a normal life? <laughs> it was like kind of a you know a, a revelation to me that just to see that sure. here was a musician who had a a fairly comfortable lifestyle, lived in a nice neighborhood, and. But so that was uh, one of those unseen sort of lessons or unexpected lessons. But once I, I kind of started lessons, I think I was maybe in my second or third lesson with Alan. And uh, I'll give you some details of what, what were actually uh, the lessons were comprised of in a minute. But this is another, sure. another uh, somewhat embarrassing but worthwhile story was that you know, now I was kind of a big fish in a small pond out in the Western Mass where I played. You know, everybody knew me and, you know, hey, he's cool. He's a drummer. And so I think it was about my second or third lesson I, I said to Alan, I said, you know, I wanted him to uh, to give me an evaluation of my playing. Secretly, you know, hoping that he was going to say, 
Well, yeah, yeah, you're you're going to be the next Tony Williams. <laughs> <laughs> we all want that. <laughs> so, so you know, I I I asked for it and I got it. And this was the thing about Alan was he was very honest and in a in a way that was very diplomatic, but it was meant for you to learn from. So I mm-hmm. said, yeah. So could, could could you give me an evaluation of my my playing? And he kind of sat back in his chair and said, well, he said, uh, well, you're a proficient drummer. You know, you've been playing for, for 10 years. Uh, one style anyways, you know, I've been primarily a rock drummer. And he said, but for all intents and purposes, you're really a beginner. <laughs> and I was like, I think, man, I, I, that stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. Like, what do you mean, a beginner? <laughs> what do you mean? I've been <laughs> Who you call I've been it a beginner. <laughs> gigging, I've been gigging since I was twelve years old, you know. <laughs> and but his if if I hadn't heard that from him, I don't think I'd be here today talking to you because that was really that was an honest and and really very generous uh appraisal that that made me realize I had work to do. And a yeah. lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And so that's another, that was another, uh, I think, uh, quality of Alan's that if you hadn't practiced enough, he would let you know. He yeah. would say, you know, look, I think you need another week on that because uh, that's not getting it, you know. So this yeah. was his 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 um, genius as a teacher that uh, – he knew uh, what students needed to do to, to progress, to get better. Yeah, you know, it. someone on the show told, said at one point that, that something, sometimes teachers will hurt students by just, you know, patting them on the back too much and not giving them the truth. Yeah. And say, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great. Um, yeah, yeah. Where sometimes you need to hear like you're you're doing it wrong you're you're holding your sticks wrong like and you know 10 years of playing is a really long time but you could be playing for 50 years and if you're practicing the wrong stuff yeah i mean but really that's great because you 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 clearly turned out you know pretty pretty damn well so there's um it, it just goes to show that the truth can hurt but it's it's sometimes it's nice to hear yeah well i mean it didn't happen overnight you know, it was a process, and uh, I had to evolve and and learn what uh, you know how to practice and uh, you know how to organize my practice and my time. So, and you know, Alan was helpful with that. Uh, I, I want to give you just a sort of uh, an idea of a typical lesson with Alan, and and I was thinking about this earlier today. Alan, when when asked, uh, would say that. He didn't teach drums. He hmm. taught music. Hmm. And that, you know, wherever, whatever style of music you chose to apply uh, the things that you learned with him was was relevant. So it wasn't, you know, specific to any one style. They were fundamentals and basic skills that, that drummers needed to play any style. And so yeah. that was something I remember him saying, you know, I don't teach drums, I teach music. But a typical hmm. lesson with Alan was an hour lesson, and I, I call this the meat and potatoes stuff uh, of, of when I was teaching at Berkeley, and, and that was a little tricky because I would try to squeeze into a half an hour lesson what Alan taught in, a, in an hour. But there were four basic components that comprise the biggest part of Alan's teaching. So in a typical one-hour lesson, you would, first of all, do rudiments. And now, if anybody's seen the book I wrote, The Drummer's Complete Vocabulary, as taught by Alan Dawson, uh, you'll find all of this in the book. But Alan taught, uh, and and usually he would give you about three rudiments per lesson to work on for the next week or the next two weeks. I was one of those students that I I came every other week, so I'd have two weeks to, to work on three rudiments. But over the course of time, uh, he taught you all the 26 American rudiments, about another 17 or so Swiss rudiments, uh, another probably 15 or so rudiments called innovations or new innovations, hmm. and then another 13 rudiments uh, 
that were actually invented by one of his former students that, that he called uh, chops builders. So all in all, with variations, there were over 80 rudiments. And uh, um, once you got through those 80 rudiments, <laughs> and, and believe me, uh, I was not uh, I, I was not a great student, so it took me a long time to get through them all. Yeah. Uh, that with, you know, stopping and starting lessons from time to time. But, but um, I, I know there are plenty of guys that got through them a lot quicker than I did. But once you got through all those 80 rudiments, Alan would say, okay, now review them all with the brushes. Hmm. And you'd kind of like go, what? <laughs> and then he would kind of demonstrate how, you know, he would play on the tips of the brushes and how you had to pick the strokes up because the brushes don't rebound like sticks do. And so then you'd review all at a much quicker pace than when you had first learned them, all those 80 rudiments with the brushes. And once you had done that, then he would tape record for you. In those days, uh, there was no book and he hadn't, he didn't have a, a written version of what everybody knows now to be called the rudimental ritual. Mm -hmm. So he would tell you, okay, next week, bring a 90 minute cassette tape and I'm going to tape the rudimental ritual for you. Now the rudimental ritual uh, could take like 15 or 20 minutes to play through the whole thing. But basically what it is is like uh, um, all of those 80 rudiments uh, uh, in four and eight bar phrases played over a bossa nova foot pattern with the brushes. And there's, you know, this is there's so many versions of this on the on YouTube and on the Internet. But yeah, uh, uh, refer to the Alan Dawson book. But so that was the first part of, of your your one hour lesson was the rudiments. Um, and then Alan would describe it. it he, he, he said his lessons were designed to be 50 percent technique and 50 percent music. So. The second technique part of the of the lesson was uh, an exercise that he used uh, stick control, the book by George Lawrence Stone, stick control, yep. and it was an exercise he designed to develop your single stroke roll, which he would always describe as the the hardest rudiment. You know, the single stroke roll is you know to get yeah. it to sound good and even and up to any sort of you know uh, uh, you know tone. Tony Williams level single strokes, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, a little hard. <laughs> yeah, this was an exercise uh, that he devised using the stick control, the stick control book uh, to develop the single stroke rule. So that's two parts of the lesson. Now, the third part is another part that, that Alan has known the world over for, and it was he had over 40 ways of, in, of interpreting uh, the, the pages of uh, – Ted Reed's syncopation book. So in mm -hmm. the middle of the book, you could call what, what Alan would call the, the meat of the book, exercises one through eight. So Alan devised uh, over 40 different ways of interpreting those eight pages of exercises using various short and long sounds, filling in triplets, uh, a whole myriad of different ways of interpreting them that, that had very musical applications. But uh, the syncopation book, uh, again, and you would work on like one way of those 40 plus ways uh, each lesson or sometimes more than just for one lesson because it might take you several weeks to get down all eight pages. And he would always stipulate that. And when you came back, if you played the first, you know, we all burned through the first page, right? Yeah. And then he'd go, okay, uh, how about exercise number seven? And then you'd kind of shudder because you knew you hadn't practiced exercise seven <laughs> as much as you practiced exercise one. So you yeah. would uh, you kind of you know take a deep breath and then and then mess it up. And he go, uh, "Did you practice that page?" <laughs> and you'd have to go, "Well, not as much as the first yeah. page." You go, I played it once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he he would go, "Well." I think you need another week on that. <laughs> oh boy! Jeez. So there again, you know, he was teaching. He was teaching you to be thorough, to uh, to not cut corners. Uh, and you know, the thing about the those pages in syncopation is that uh, you know, exercise one doesn't have any consecutive eighth notes in it, like four or more eighth notes in a row. So if you hadn't done exercises two through through eight, where you have a lot of consecutive eighth notes, you you wouldn't be able to do them. So so again, you know, the, uh, 
40 plus ways of interpreting those eight pages. And this was all under, under the, uh, you know, the, the heading of four way coordination, right? Yeah. Cause sure. some of those exercises you would have, uh, well, the most sort of, um, basic interpretation of a short and long, right? And, and you could actually, could actually, uh, if you wanted a simple definition of, of, of music, right? You could say it's a combination of short and long tones, right? So, yeah, really? so I mean, the, the, the first time that Alan introduced you to that idea was you played the short notes on the snare drum and the long notes on the bass drum. So eighth notes are short, quarter notes, tied eighth notes, and dotted quarter notes are all long. So where you had a single line of something like right? Which you'd have to be able to do first on the snare drum or whatever for the reading. Now it would become dip boom, dip boom, 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 dip boom, boom, dip boom, dip boom, dip boom, right? Snare drum, bass drum, right hand keeps time, the jazz ride pattern, hi-hats on two and four. And then as you went further along, uh, you had somewhere you would be playing the short notes on the hi-hat, the long notes on the bass drum, filling in triplets with the left hand and the jazz ride pattern in the right hand. So <laughs> some very challenging four-way coordination studies, you know, that really, yeah. I mean, just, uh, but there again, uh, very useful in, in a musical sense as well. So that's three things. Yeah. You had the rudiments, you had the single stroke roll exercise, then you had the four-way coordination. And mm. perhaps the fourth thing, maybe uh, what I would I have often said is really one of Alan's most genius-like uh, creations was using the stick control book again and interpreting the, the rights and the lefts for rights equal alternating hands on the snare drum, lefts equal the bass drum. So like where you had right, left, right, left, single stroke roll, right, left, right, you'd have dip, 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 or left, right, left, right, double stroke, Right, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, dip, 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 left, left, right, right, right. So that's the interpretation of the exercises. But what Alan did was he had you play each column in the context of a variety of different song forms. So, for example, and again, you can find this all over YouTube if you put my name, Alan Dawson. You'll, you'll find this exercise. but So what you would have to do is you'd have to play four bars of time, then four bars of that exercise, that particular exercise, whatever, number one, number two. Uh, so that would equal eight bars. So the first column in stick control you would do with an AABA 32-bar song form. It's the <laughs> most common song form there is. Sure, AABA 32 bars. So – You'd have four bars of time, four bars of the first exercise. That's eight bars. That equals the first eight. Four bars of time again, four bars of the second exercise. That's the second eight bars or the second day. Then four bars of time again, four bars of exercise number three equals the B or the bridge of the tune. <laughs> four bars of time again, four bars of exercise number four. That's the last day of the first chorus. <clears throat> so with exercises one through 12 on page five of stick control, You'd have a total of three choruses, A-A-B-A, that's one chorus, A-A-B-A, that's two choruses, A-A-B-A, that's three choruses. And then, uh, oh, and let's not forget the, the, the part that messed everybody up was while you were doing all that, you had to sing the melody of the tune aloud. <laughs> oh, my God. Your brain just like is split in so many directions there. Well, it's like what Gary Chester called it, the fifth limb, right? The voice, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, really hard. Steve Houghton would say, "You can't sing, can't play." <laughs> mm. So, but yeah. but so once you had you know the exercises, then you'd have to, of course, learn the melody. So in this case, any A A B A tune. Those are tunes like "Take the A Train" or "Satin Doll." Uh, I've got rhythm, or any of those tunes based on rhythm changes. Right? I got mm -hmm. rhythm. Uh, it's the most common song form there is. Uh, so. Alan would say, okay, three choruses of the exercises, and then for a fourth chorus, a chorus of solo, still singing the tune aloud. <laughs> oh, so, man. 
Yeah, I mean, this 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 was for just about anyone who's ever tried that exercise. It really was a challenge, and uh, it took a lot of time and effort to get it together. I mean, but you learned. Uh, I mean, there were so many benefits you got from that one exercise. Uh, the most obvious sort of being uh, you you would uh, it would help you to learn to feel four and eight bar phrases, right? That's what most melodies are. Four yeah. and eight bar phrases because you had four bars of time, four bars of the exercise could t- take some time, but eventually it reinforced that idea. Um, of course, you were learning tunes because after you did the first column, you'd go to the second column with an A B A C tune. It's another thirty-two bar song form. After that, when you had that down, you'd go to the next page, page six, first column with an A B A B tune. Right, so. Uh, examples of an ABAC tune are tunes like uh, On Green Dolphin Street or uh, Four by Miles Davis, mm-hmm. uh, My Romance, probably the second most common song for him. Uh, page six, first column with the ABAB tune. Those are tunes like Tune Up by Miles Davis or Blue Bossa is an ABAB tune. Still 32-bar tune, but ABAB. And then the next column on page six you do with a 12-bar tune most of which we know are blues, right? Uh, and then uh, page seven, first column, you do with a 48-bar tune, which are tunes like um, I'll Remember April or uh, Night and Day is another 48-bar tune. So you were learning repertoire because you had to learn all those melodies. You were learning uh, all of the standard song forms that you would deal with on a gig. Uh, wow. and, and, and more importantly, you were learning to solo over the form of a tune. Which and, is uh, so, pra- this is all so practical. Yeah. And, yeah. and usable as opposed to like, I mean, everyone, you always hear in, in, in a lot of these episodes, I've heard, okay, stick control and syncopation, which are just so iconic, but it's like, this is just a little bit different. <laughs> it's another way of doing it. Yeah, where it, It's what just, you do with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's what, it's what you do with them. It's how you like, and the singing while you're doing it. I mean, we've all done that where someone's talking to you and you're trying to play and you kind of start to talk like this because you're playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, it's really just freeing your, your mind and your, your voice. And, and it's, it's challenging you to go against the, the old uh, adage of, uh, you know, what's the definition of a, of a band? Four musicians and a drummer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're more than that. <laughs> right? I mean, now you're a musician too. It's like, yeah, I, I hear the changes. I hear the form. I hear the harmony. I hear the melody. Uh, and I'm in there with you. I'm in the same place you are. So, And, and, and just that alone uh, of, of you singing the melody automatically made your solos more melodic. Not in the yeah. sense that you were playing, you know, uh, uh, specific pitches, but in the sense that if the melody goes up, you can apply going up. If the melody goes down, you can apply going down. And so, you know, uh, it really, like I say, I think I, I would often imagine Alan of lying awake at night, dreaming up ways that he could create uh, exercises that would reinforce musical concepts, you know. And that yeah. one was just so amazing that. Uh, and once you got to that 48 bar tune, you would keep going in the book and, hmm. you know, picking a tune for a new tune for each column. And uh, um, for me in those days, it was it was the perfect sort of complement to my my real life situation because I was playing in well, in one group in particular, we played a lot of standard tunes. I was playing like three nights a week at that point when I was, you know. In, in like the Holiday Inn, right? In, sure. in the lounge, right? But we're yeah. playing all the, all those kinds of tunes that that Alan was referring to, standard tunes, you know. Uh, and so I had a great resource from, from which I could pull uh, tunes to use in those exercises for. And, but at the same time, it was refor- reinforcing my playing on the gig. So yeah. really important stuff. So, and, and yeah. this kind of to step back again so if you look at that those four components of a, of a lesson rudiments single stroke roll four-way coordination uh song form soloing over the form you know you can pretty much see where there is that 
that kind of intent of Alan's there of 50% technique, 50% music. So, um, but you know, as you kind of progressed over time with Alan, uh, you know, there became, and as you got better, there became room for, for other topics to come in say chart interpretation or, uh, you know, he worked with a couple of different snare drum books, uh, the all American drummer. So it wasn't strictly limited to those form, those four, uh, uh, components. And you, you would bring stuff to him like, you know, Hey, what's a mambo. Right. And yeah. of course he would address that too. But, but th- I would say that was kind of like the meat potatoes of, of his lessons. And sounds very full, just very well thought out. Not very, uh, I mean, obviously from being a professor at Berkeley, he's the real deal. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing obviously, but, and, and I love too that like, let's say with syncopation um, where, I mean, when I was going through syncopation, it is so easy and I did it at first and then I went back, but you skip like, I literally just the quarter note stuff. Some of the early stuff, you just skip yeah. it. Cause you're like, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I can yeah. do that, but that's not what you should do. You should do it and maybe do it to a metronome, do it slower, mm-hmm. do it faster, do it with your feet, do it. There's so much you could take from this stuff, which um, it's like he, they don't g- great teachers. Don't leave any, you know, meat stone on the bone, they, yeah. Yeah, stone unturned. They, they just, it's, yeah. it's all valuable. Um, yeah. Yeah. which gosh, such a, such a great teacher. I mean, you're lucky. And I know you know that, but you're lucky to have experienced, you know, such a, um, iconic teacher. Absolutely. I mean, uh, just to kind of, you know, uh, reinforce what you're saying about the syncopation book and, 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 and another sort of aspect of Alan was that, he knew where you needed to start as a student. So in, in terms of reading, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't read quarter notes. And so I literally did start in the beginning of the syncopation book, those exercises where you've got quarter notes and quarter rests and then yeah. eighth notes and then, you know, triplets and then six. I needed that. I needed to start there. And he knew that. And so that's where he started me. Now, there were other guys who could already read who came to Alan and the, the sort of uh, the test for him was, could you read those eight pages on, in those days, it was the old version of the book. Uh, it was pages 37 through 44. Now I think it's pages 38 through 45, but exercises one through eight in the middle of the book. And that was the test for him. If you could read those pages, then you could, you were ready to, to do uh, his different uh, variations of interpreting those pages. But hmm. the first thing was you had to be able to read those pages. So he worked me up from the beginning of the book, all on snare drum, hand to hand, and then up to those eight uh, exercises, pages of eight, eight exercises. The first thing I did with those was just play them all on the snare drum. <laughs> you know, hand to hand, dat, dat, bat, 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 Because if you couldn't read it, you know, you weren't going to be able to play it you know, with the various ways of four-way coordination. So he taught to the level of each student, whatever that student's needs were. And I think that's another sign of a good teacher. It's like, you know, some guys yeah. just, this is what I do. You either get it or you don't. No, it's so like, uh, well, play for me. Ed yeah. Soap's another great example of that. It was like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, <laughs> which would be a whole other episode. But, uh, you know, he, he, would, he would play whatever the level was. He would teach to that level. So uh, very important, I think, for, for drum teachers. Yeah. yeah, and I think uh, with, with all of these, it's like like going through syncopation. Um, I was working with a teacher. I actually, uh, in the last year, I, I've played for most of my life, but I just my reading needed help. So I was working on it with Barry James, who's a great teacher, who studied with George Lawrence Stone. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Barry's in his 80s now. But, you know, I'd be on my own, and I would be just – kind of plowing through syncopation, kind of reading it. And then, you know, like this is going great. And then I'm sure, you know, the exercise, the last one that you get to where it's like, holy crap, this is everything in here. And this is like the hardest, (laughs) it's like one page where it's like, dear God, this book just got hard. Um, Yeah. Well, I remember Alan commenting about the syncopation book. It was like, I said something to him like, you know, wow, it's it's a really, really, uh, really famous book, huh? (laughs) <laughs> and he kind of said, he said, he said, well, yeah, thanks to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, probably true. And he was right. He was really right because, I mean, yes, Ted Reed wrote a, a great a great text, but uh, 
the the ways that it, it it became or came to be interpreted was really what kind of I think sold the book. You know, everybody was buying that book that ever went to Berkeley. Uh, you know, so yeah. What yeah. else can I tell you about about the great Alan Dawson? I mean, for your listeners, I hope they all will go to YouTube and put in Alan Dawson. There's some great YouTube clips of Alan playing with uh, with Sonny Rollins. Uh, there's tons of stuff with him playing with Dave Brubeck. So if you Google, you know, Sonny Rollins, Sonny Rollins, Alan Dawson, or Alan Dawson, Dave Brubeck, Dave Brubeck, Alan Dawson, there's, and, and he was like, I mean, I, I did another podcast with, uh, uh, a local, uh, actually organization a few weeks ago. And, uh, I started by saying that, you know, Alan was hands down indisputably one of the greatest drummers that ever lived. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he may not have had that same sort of, uh, you know, household name kind of thing that, mm-hmm. that like Buddy Rich or, you know, yeah. even Max or, or Tony Williams. Tony. Or, yeah. yeah. You know, all those guys. But, uh, I think it, it was because he, I remember when I, uh, played in Art Blakey's big band, uh, in the early night, well, that would have been 1980. And Alan Dawson was there with maybe Bill Evans. I'm not even sure. I don't remember now who he was playing with. That's another one to Google Alan yeah, Dawson sure. with Bill Evans. But, uh, we were hanging out in the hotel after the gig. These are like jazz festivals that happen in, in Europe every summer, all over the place, Montreux and Den Haag and Nice. Yeah. Uh, but, Alan happened to be um, on the same bill, and so there was my teacher, and so we were hanging out at this this jam session uh, in the in the hotel later that evening, and Alan and I were just standing around talking, and you know, there's uh, everybody was in there, you know, uh, Sarah Vaughn, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, you know, Freddie Hubbard, they're all like hanging out, right? This is the this was the you know, when you'd get off the elevator in the lobby, you'd see all those people, you know, just like all the jazz heroes hanging around. But so uh, a drummer named Vinnie Ruggiero, uh, who was actually another former Alan Dawson student, was was playing in the jam session. And Alan and I were kind of standing there. I'm like, wow, this guy's good. He sounded like Philly Joe. And, and yeah. Alan was like, you know, and – it was a nice hotel. It was a great jazz festival. And, and I remember Alan saying to me, he said, he said, look it. He said, if it was like this all the time, I wouldn't mind being on the road. But it's not like this all the time. <laughs> and I think that revealed a lot about Alan. And again, kind of reinforced by the fact that he lived in this nice house in this nice neighborhood was that um, he made lifestyle choices. Uh, that you know he he was very active like i said he, he was the first call guy in boston and but he he built his career so that he could choose the gigs that he did or didn't do and that you know if he wanted to go on the road if the the circumstances were right the money was right uh the accommodations were right he'd say yes but if if they weren't he didn't need to go because that wasn't his only income stream you know, he could yeah. go down to the basement and, and make a good week's paycheck with, uh, you know, however many dozens of students he saw each week. So, I mean, I think that 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 had a lot to do with. Uh, well, I'm the same way. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you're young, the road can be a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, but after a while, you kind of go, mm, do I want to be playing in this? hotel lounge six nights a week for $462 a week for the rest of my life or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or do I want to have a little more control over what I do? So I, I think that was another sort of built-in lesson that I got from Alan. Hmm. But I mean, when you hear some of the recordings he's made uh, it, it, and you listen to, oh my goodness. And, and even Max Roach said to me once, <laughs> he said, uh, Whenever they would come to Boston, I, I don't know if he was referring to, you know, maybe his group with Clifford Brown. It was like, 
he, he'd go, whenever drummers came to Boston, they would dread playing behind Alan Dawson <laughs> because That's Alan funny. would just kick their behinds. You know, he was just yeah. like, so. Yeah, he, he has some great, I mean, his soloing is great. There's a, there's a cool video online that I posted a while ago on social media of 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 uh, Alan playing and his Tom basically fell off. That's what Dave um, Rubick, yeah, 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 exactly. And he just he handled it like a pro. And just didn't, kept didn't, didn't phase him in the least. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, hardware problems never seem to go away. Obviously, they've gotten better, but your cymbal stand will still fall over. We're going to take a quick break, and I want to welcome a new sponsor on the show who's coming on board to support drum history and help make it even better. Dream Symbols. Dream Symbols creates B20 and truly hand-hammered symbols for today's working drummer. Each handcrafted symbol has a warmth that draws you in at low volumes, yet thunders with beautiful overtones when leaned into and opened up. These symbols come alive with an explosive attack, but have undertones that are warm, rich, and dark. Each one has a unique, complex voice that will help you define your personal sound. The symbols speak clearly at all dynamic levels and sit comfortably and easily blend in any mix. Head over to dreamsymbols.com or at dreamsymbols on Instagram and find out what your dream sounds like today. What a smart guy is kind of what I can take away from some of this. It's just like, just he 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 seems like he has it all together and um, just maybe, you know, maybe that some of that army background helped with kind of his, his regimental sort of, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And I don't know too much details, but it sounds like he didn't get too wrapped up in like, um, you know, drug problems or anything like that. Um, yeah, which a lot of musicians did. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying about his lifestyle choices too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, But he, I, I should mention, and I meant to mention earlier that, uh, he studied with a guy named Charlie Alden hmm. when he was coming up in Boston. Now, I don't know much about Charlie Alden other than the fact that um, Alan studied with him and many of the guys of, of Alan's generation around Boston studied with Charlie Alden. But uh, I think Charlie Alden may have been a student of George L. Stone. And I think Alan even said that he took a few lessons with, with George L. Stone as well. Um, cool. But I think Charlie Alden was like uh, another one of my teachers that I only had a few lessons with when I was very young. Uh, uh, his name was Joe Sefcik, and Joe Sefcik was Joe Morello's teacher. Yeah, but Joe heard that. Joe Sefcik was um, he was like a vaudeville drummer, you know, where you played tempo blocks and you played mm-hmm. a little, you know, not even necessarily a drum kit, but just kind of a. A percussion, and that's the other thing about Alan. And if 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 you can find his his CD, uh, might be on Amazon or somewhere like that. It's called Waltzing with Flow. Florence was his wife, so the only uh, recording he ever did, you know, uh, of his own, uh, is is a CD called Waltzing with Flow. But on that recording, you'll hear Alan play vibraphone. Oh, cool! And I mean, I did gigs with him uh, where he was on vibes and I was on drums. And, it well, he would do that in his lessons with you, too. Once you kind of reached kind of a an advanced stage, uh, you would trade fours and eights and choruses with him playing vibes. And he was a nasty jazz vibraphonist, too. <laughs> so, awesome. you know, he was a complete musician. He was, uh, you know, there were no, uh, no shortcomings there. Uh, and, yeah. yes, you're right. He was super, super intelligent. Super intelligent guy. Well, one thing I want to ask you about the lessons that I've learned um, with doing some of these is, um, and I, I think I would, I probably know the answer, but let's say, uh, so Steve Fiddick talked about Joe Morello. He said lessons would go for hours. They would go so yeah. beyond the time. Yeah. Um, Bruce yeah. Becker said Freddie Gruber would just be like three hours late. Then he'd send you to get him food. Oh, Alan, was he probably very much, he seems more regimented. Like it's 3 p.m., yeah. Lesson starts. You're done at four. Was was he more on time? Well, he was, and, and largely because when you were in your lesson, Alan's studio was in was in the basement. It's a it's a beautiful uh, wood paneled, uh, knotty pine finished basement. With it's like a drummer's dream studio, right? <laughs> yeah. But the entrance for the studio was an outside door, and you'd go through kind of the little mud room. 
where Alan had like a practice pad set up and a drum stool where you'd wait for your lesson. And mm. when you got there, you know, 10, 15 minutes early or whatever, there was all, always somebody else already in their lesson. So if your lesson was going to start at 11, you know, pretty much right at 11, that door would open and the, the other guy would be coming out and Alan would always introduce you like, you know, Hey John, do you know Jackie Santos or Hey John, have, have you met Terry Lynn Carrington? And he was very, you know, uh, much a fellowship kind of drum, drum brother, uh, initiator or yeah. whatever. But so for that reason alone, he had such a, a full roster of students that, uh, you know, uh, he was on time and, the only, I mean, he would go over if he had a cancellation or something like that. Yeah. But for the most part, if you paid for your hour, you, you got your hour, and there was a guy right after you who was, you know, who wanted his hour. So, no, there was none of that sort of disorganized, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> Six-hour loose, lessons. <laughs> loosey-goosey, loosey-goosey stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. There's no right or wrong, but – uh, yeah, you just think though about like you know if you're young and you're like you know like my mom says I need to be home, but like Joe Morello's keeping me here for five hours. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. Well, I know okay, I, cool. I know Joe was a great teacher too, and uh, oh yeah, you know, absolutely. So all right, obviously you did very well for yourself um, from from taking you know from from being a student of Alan. Um, why don't we talk a little bit more post lesson, um, about you, but then also, um, as we kind of get close to the end here, like towards the end of Alan's life, um, I know he passed away from leukemia, but, um, so after you finished lessons with him there, you, again, you did very well for yourself. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always been kind of gifted with, natural ability or whatever but um and this is a good wrap-up for us too because uh you asked about my my time studying with alan well there was when i started in the early 70s and um you know there was a period in between uh where i lived in miami florida for a couple of years i played on miami beach you know six nights a week in various bands and clubs and you know pretty much uh you know that that interrupted my lessons with alan so that was around 1975. And then in around 1977, I moved back to Massachusetts and, and, and started to study with Alan again hmm. uh, and pretty much studied with him right up until probably 1979 or 1980. And in 1980, I joined Art Blakey's big band and I was the second drummer in, in art. It's called Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers Big Band, <laughs> which was a band of uh, it was actually 13 players, I think. It was, wow. it was Win- Winton and Branford Marcellus, hmm. uh, Kevin and Robin Eubank, so two sets of brothers, then James <laughs> Williams on piano, Billy Pierce on tenor saxophone, um, uh, Valerie Ponomaroff, uh, who had been with Art for some years on trumpet, um, Charles Fambro on bass, um, who am I leaving out? Uh, Bobby Watson on alto saxophone, and then Art and myself both playing drum set. People would always say, "Art, why? Why do you have two drummers?" And Art would always say, "If two horn players can play together, two <laughs> drummers can play together." <laughs> <laughs> Great impression. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so I went on from after. Art went back to a small band. I ended up being his road manager for over two years, which was a whole nother <laughs> uh, experience and job description. <laughs> uh, but it, it enabled me actually to write my first book, which was Art Blakey's Jazz Messages. So you can check that on Amazon too. Uh, but, you know, I watched Art Blakey up close pretty much four or five, six nights a week because he always worked. He was always on the road. You know, I went to Europe with him probably a dozen times. We went to Japan. We went to the Caribbean. So I was getting lessons of another sort of variety uh, with my two years being with art. But, again, uh, that kind of interrupted any studies with Alan. So what led to me actually teaching at Berkeley 
And I started there in 1982. So I was with Art from basically 1980 through 1982. But again, I mentioned this whole thing with the road. It was like I needed to get off the road. And so Billy Pierce and James Williams, who were both in an arts band, uh, had both gone to Berkeley and graduated from Berkeley and had started teaching at Berkeley. So James or Billy or both of them said, look, if you, I, I had done a little teaching uh, at the University of Mass for their extension, arts extension program or something like that. So, but uh, that was the other thing you got from Alan, sort of just from being a student of his, is you learned how to teach as hmm. well. Yeah. So Billy and James said, well, look, if you want to teach, you should go to Berkeley. So I was desperate to get off the road. I had my second kid coming and I had just had it up to here with the road and with, with <laughs> working for art. Yeah. <laughs> who I love. <laughs> um, but sure. so when I started to teach at Berkeley in 1982, I was able to go back and, and continue to study with Alan. So I, my tenure with studying him was spread out over basically 10 years. So that pr I probably studied from 82 to 84 with him uh, once I started at Berkeley. So, because, you know, uh, you get to Berkeley and you go, oh man, I got to get my, you know what together because uh, yeah. all these these students are going to be like killing. Uh, <laughs> no, not. <laughs> there were a few, right? There were certainly exceptions. There were exceptions, yeah. but believe me, there was the whole the whole uh, range of of abilities with students at Berkeley. But at any rate, I needed to kind of finish up with Alan and 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 you know, uh, really, you know, kind of. Uh, continue to grow. And the funny part of that story is that uh, after studying with Alan, again, basically, I think, 82 through 84, I wanted, I wanted to really get a, a real uh, excellent pedagogy on chart interpretation. And so Ed Sof was teaching in, in Connecticut, outside of Hartford, I think it's Weathersfield, Connecticut, at Bob Gatson's music shop. I forget the name of it, but Ed was the chart interpretation guy. If you wanted to get your chart interpretation together, you went to see Ed Sof. And so what I ended up doing was the reverse of what I, I did when I first started out studying with Alan, driving, uh, you know, 180 miles round trip from Western Mass to Boston and back. Uh, now I was going from Boston to Hartford, Connecticut every other week. <laughs> To study with Ed. <laughs> wow, always in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, right. Or always in the right place, depending on, Ex on how you look exactly. at it. Exactly. Sure. But yeah, Ed was great. I mean, that's awesome, man. You've got some great teachers, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, it's because I was curious. You know, and I was, I was, and this is what you you have to have is, I was hungry for for drum knowledge. You know, but I uh, I'll tell you another little. Uh, on a final note, a, a little funny story about when I went to study with Ed was, uh, you know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. So he said, so, uh, yeah, what, what do you want to do? Well, I, you know, I want to study chart interpretation. Yeah, everybody tells me you're, you're the guy, you know. He goes, okay. He said, uh, so uh, you've been playing for a while. I said, yeah, yeah. I played Art Blakey's big band. You know, I studied with Alan Dawson for many, many years. And so he goes, okay, yeah, play something for me. So. I don't know what I played, but you know, I played what I what I played, and you know, Ed's just yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I can see, yeah, yeah. You study with Alan, yeah. I hear, I can hear that, yeah, yeah. He said, but you know what? He said, you know, when you play, you look like you got a rope tied around your upper body, <laughs> man. And when he said that, it's like this little little red light went off. Right? I was like, man, you know what? That's how I feel. And yeah. so Ed had a whole nother uh, series of exercises based on molar technique where he just, you know, uh, it, they were called motion studies. Uh, and the, the gist of that was what he called the relaxed stick lift, where you really, you learn to, that, that a wrist stroke starts at the shoulder and the elbow, right? But just those words, and again, that, that you know, that fierce honesty of, yeah, yeah, you so yeah, you sound like, He's been playing for a while, yeah. But you know what? 
you look like you you've got a rope tied around your upper body oh, and man. that it's, was like it was liberating you know it was yeah. it was it was both you know uh it stung a little bit but it was also uh what i needed to hear it was exactly what i needed in that moment you know it sounds like a key takeaway to all of this really is is obviously this is about all alan dawson kind of in, in general but it's like when you go to a different teacher, you get a completely different perspective and you get a completely different sort of viewpoint about, you know, maybe he's more of the, you know, let's say posture and the movement kind of guy, whereas Alan was the other kind of like, you know, music, musical drumming kind of guy, which, yeah, you, or I should say guy or girl or whoever you go to, you, you get different things from different people. So it's yeah, yeah, good to experiment with different teachers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that cool. was that, that was one of the beauties about Berkeley too. It's like you could go and study funk with Jackie Santos, or you could go and work on your fusion stuff with Casey Shirell, or you could go and work on your polyrhythm stuff with Henrique D'Almeida. You know, there was. But I think there's also when you have a teacher who has a, uh, you know, a body of pedagogy that you know has a beginning and sort of an end point, or at least you know. Uh, a trajectory that uh, it's um, what's the word a um, modular or you know systematic that builds on each previous step. And I think it's important to to see that through too. So, but definitely yeah. you know depending depending on what your your interest is. No, I always and I got, I learned this from Alan. A- any student that came through my door, my first question is, what do you want to get out of your lesson? Because guys come with you come to you because they have a particular thing in mind that they heard you do well or you know they know that this guy's uh, if you want to get your hands together you go study with this guy it's, so mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and, and in yeah. today's you know today's uh information age it's like boy it's so much information and stuff available online but uh yeah which can be great but can also be overload where you don't know the right ways the, the right way to go um, or what to practice yeah or what to practice or what um, you need what you need to work on yeah well so um this has just been awesome but i i want to say to people too that i think um john and i are going to do our, our typical uh you know couple couple minute 10 minute patreon bonus episode so check that out and i think what we're going to talk about which i think john can obviously show us uh shine some light on this is maybe what people you know there's I'm sure there's people listening to this show who are looking to go to Berkeley or a music music school. Um, so maybe John can shine some light in a quick little bonus episode about things that you can practice before going to music school. And I know guys like me who are past the college years, um, you know, in any, you know, you could be 50 years past it or 10 yeah. years past it, but maybe it's things we can talk about. But um, yeah, not, so, not, to, not to interrupt you, but, but just to give a, a plug for I have a whole course on the drum channel uh on on berkeley audition so oh you can check that perfect. out it's the drum channel uh i don't know if you're familiar with don lombardi and uh the dw guys but i have a Absolutely. whole course on auditioning specifically at berkeley that uh you can go it's like 40 bucks or something like that uh but the drum drum channel.com oh great well yep. check that out and the patreon bonus episode <laughs> <laughs> yes. so on that note, um, man, John. Well, all right, so let's tell people as we as we close out this main episode. Where can people find you? And if you're doing Zoom lessons and all that good stuff, um, what's going on with with you and, and where they can find you? Yeah, I, I mean, I have a small uh, private practice that, up until the pandemic, was not uh, online. Uh, I had done a few random online lessons, and then, of course, my last semester at Berkeley. Midway through the semester, everything became online. But uh, yeah, I mean, they could just uh, email me uh, if you want to put up my email on your site. That's sure. fine. It, it, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I do do my private practice is now uh, all online. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's no gigs these days. So no. I can't say come and hear me. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. hopefully when this when things return to normal, uh, you know, I've I had a great uh, session here in my house every week with, with Bill Pierce, who people might know was uh, in the last uh, Tony Williams group. Uh, Billy's like a brother. We've been playing together for years. So hopefully we'll have some gigs when, when things settle back down around the Boston area. But uh, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, there's the Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers big band recording, if you can find that. Uh, there was also some tracks from that that I'm on. on it's called The History of Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers on Blue Note Records. So uh, you'll see me on there. But, uh, yeah. Cool. Hey, it's been a pleasure. It's, uh, I've, been, I've enjoyed this. I'm sorry I talk so much. Oh, well, that's... <laughs> That's how podcasts go is if you don't talk, I've had it the other way, which I mean, again, you didn't talk too much, but we're sometimes at uh, 20 minutes in. I'm like, oh boy, we're out of, uh, <laughs> we're, we're out of things to talk about. Yeah. And we, we, I sort of said it before, but obviously Alan Dawson sadly passed away, uh, from leukemia in February 23rd, 1996. So today's February 16th. We're coming up on, um, the day he died. Um, yeah. Yeah. 66 years old. That's so young. You know, it's such yeah. a shame. Yeah. So rest in peace, Alan Dawson. Obviously, his legacy has um, been very far reaching and people can still um, to this day, obviously learn a lot. So like John said, just YouTube or Google John Ramsey, Alan Dawson, and there's tons of great videos. And yeah. uh, that's Ramsey, R-A-M-S-A-Y um, to get that all cleaned up. So Correct. again, Hang on. Uh, if if you're a Patreon member, look for the, the bonus episode. But um, John and I are going to do a little extra conversation now. And you can go to drummysterypodcast.com. And there's a Patreon button there. You can click if you want to join up and uh, and get these bonus episodes. So anyway, on that note, John, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your your knowledge and, and wonderful experiences uh, through your your long career. Thank you, Bart. I'm happy to do it. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at Drum History and please share, rate, and leave a review. And let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning.